Yep. We are in the house. Mornings on Nessie and Kane Corns in for Jared Whaley. I have so much I want to talk about with you this morning. I can't wait to get through it all. Would love your thoughts. You can join in the conversation with me. one 736 736 is the number. It's the captain's run today for state transport. Our people are your solution. Uh, free agency opens. In fact, it just opened four minutes ago, so we will keep you updated with anything that drops. Ben Mackay, probably the first deal that gets done. Tom Duday as well, but we'll keep you up to speed live as that happens. Tom Morris, after 10 o'clock, is going to join us with the latest from the trade period. And Mark Duffield, after the Eagles missed one of their key targets yesterday, Devin Robinson opted to stay with the Lions. Looking forward to speaking to Duff, who is across all things an absolute guru in this space and has been doing it better than most for a long period of time. Uh, the Combine starts today as well, so we'll keep you up to date with anything you need to know from from that. That's all coming up on the McCafe menu and Sam Edmund to take over after 10.30. Speaking of Sam Edmund, as I departed yesterday and we tag-teamed, I tuned in for the latest update on Clayton Oliver. Let's have a little bit of a listen to the latest situation regarding the Melbourne superstar. The Melbourne Football Club have hit Clayton Oliver with an ultimatum. Shape up or ship off. Now, fed up, Demons officials have told their troubled midfielder that they need a commitment from him. A renewed commitment that he will once again conform to the standards and expectations that the club demands. They have made a series of demands to Oliver that include the need to treat club staff with respect to treat teammates with respect, prepare the way that he should, and to turn up to training in the proper condition. So it can be revealed this morning that Melbourne's reluctance, which we've all been curious about, to squash the frenzied trade talk surrounding the 26-year-old, is exclusively due to its exasperation with Oliver's increasingly erratic behaviour. Pretty strong. Like, that's as strong as it gets. The need to treat club staff with respect, teammates with respect, prepare the way that he should, and turn up to training in the proper condition. This is this is an absolute nightmare for Melbourne. This is worse than perhaps I even thought it was. And what we need now is comment from the Oliver camp. So whether it's Clayton himself and players have platforms to be able to do that in whatever they, way they want. They can go on a podcast. They can go on their own social media they can talk on the club website, they can talk through club channels, whatever it is, or that of his manager. So today I am calling to unleash the geesh. That's Nick Geesh and he is Clayton Oliver's manager. We need to hear because the brand damage that has been done to this guy and clearly um, Melbourne are at their wits end with it. Uh, they would have tried leadership meetings and Gorn would have tried to tell him to pull his head in as would have Richardson. They would have wrapped their arms around him. They would have done all sorts of different things and it's got to the point where Melbourne are happy for this to play out publicly and they are more than happy for the message to get through to Clayton that he needs to treat people with respect like this is this is embarrassing for Clayton Oliver so got to unleash the geese this morning Nick Geeshan you're copying three percent of Clayton Oliver's wage for the next seven years it's a big clip I think it is your responsibility to now come out and clear up if this is the case and there anything is to be cleared up to come out and speak and tell the Melbourne fans exactly what is going on with your client because clearly Melbourne are happy for this just to get bigger and bigger and bigger as a warning for Clayton Oliver to absolutely pull his head in. So I'd be pretty concerned and this is the reason I hate long-term deals. He hasn't even started yet and already 
Melbourne have got no idea how to handle a club player that is, well, off the rails might not even be too strong a word when you're listening to the fact that he can't even turn up to training in the proper condition to train. The reports about the exit interview and the state that he turned up to late for that, the self-tattoo issue and all the other things that we are hearing and the seven-year deal hasn't even started. So good luck to any club that wants to offer players deals like that. This is the trouble that you can get yourself into. But what I'm saying is that the geese needs to be unleashed today. Nick Geeshan needs to come out and speak and clarify this situation in relation to Clayton Oliver. one 736 736 fans, uh, you can have your say on that. I did see also that Nick Dacos's grand final jumper sold for 70 grand. 70 grand. $70,000 Nick Dacos' jumper sold for. Now, where does the money go? Does it just go to the Collingwood Football Club? I, I don't assume Nick gets a piece of that, albeit he, he probably feels a bit hard done by for not getting a, a nice chunk of that. But Collingwood are flying. To go his goons, he went for just under thirty grand. Pendlebury the same. Darcy Moore, 20000 And Sidebottom, just under $20,000. The question to you now is Nick Dacos, it's not a question, it's a statement. Nick Dacos is the most famous footballer in the land right now. He is the biggest name in the game. There's no doubt about that. Has anyone done it quicker? Has anyone become the AFL's biggest name inside two seasons? I don't think they have. I'm looking at his Instagram following, 236,000. Bailey Smith still has 100,000 more Instagram followers. So my top three biggest names in the game would go Dacos 1, Bailey Smith 2, and probably, probably Dustin Martin 3. He could be bigger, Dustin Martin, but does shy away from the media. But Nick Dacos is the league's biggest and most famous player inside two seasons, and no one has done it quicker. Uh, and what a future he's got. I, I can't see him losing that mantle for, for some time because someone just paid $70,000 for Nick's Guernsey. What is the most expensive piece of sporting memorabilia that you own? Um, what is an extravagant purchase that you've made? Because someone has just spent 70 grand on Nick Dacos's jumper. Jamie is in Glen Iris. Jamie, do we need to unleash the geesh? Would you like to hear from the Oliver camp? And what is going on with this player? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Nick Gish needs to sort of give a, uh, an update on what's going on. However, I think this shows the major change in the Melbourne Football Club. Um, in that no player is bigger than the club. And I, I think it's fantastic that Melbourne are dealing with it the way they're dealing with it. it is, as you say, it's probably a nightmare for the clubs. However, it's set to precedent. You, you, you're professionals. You've got to turn up. You've got to be professional. You know, these kids are role. There's, these players are role models to the kids. They've got to treat the staff with respect. And if they don't, then they need to go. Look at given, isn't it a given though, Jamie? Like this is this is why I think it's so incredibly embarrassing for Clayton Oliver. Like this is, I'm mortified by it because we're talking about basic respect. Like if you if you walk into a coffee shop and you order your coffee, you, you treat the staff with respect. Let alone your own footy club, who you see every day. They become like your family. You spend more time with the staff of the footy club and your teammates than you do with your own family. And to hear that he's not even treating them with respect or his teammates with respect and he's not turning up to training in a fit state or, to use Sam's term, proper condition. I, I, I'm mortified for Clayton Oliver on this. This is all allegedly, and that's why Nick needs to come on and, and, and well, that's, clear yeah. that up. But, 
you know, in terms of, yes, there are expectations and we, we feel, you, you and me. However, how many times do you go into a store? You know, we've got signs up in stores, treat our staff. People don't yeah. do it. We expect mm. that they should, but people don't. He's still young and he's still learning. And, and I think the Melbourne Club, this is a, a, a real statement from the Melbourne Club in terms of the club, who they are, what they are and what they stand for. And I think it's fantastic the way they're dealing with it. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I don't. Um, I'm not critical of the way Melbourne are handling this at all. And I know a lot of Melbourne fans are, are craving for Melbourne to speak on this, but I, I don't begrudge them for what they've done at all. But now it's in the the hands of of Clayton Oliver and his people and his management group, who are paid a lot of money to look after him to come out and clear the air because he's losing the PR battle and he's losing the PR battle fast. Um, and I think Melbourne fans are going to be pretty sick of him if he's taking one of the richest contracts in the history of the club and he's not even turning up to training um, in in the proper state. So thanks for your thoughts, Jamie. I thought wise words. Mark's in Sydney. The reports yesterday that Sydney offered Aaron Norton $12 bucks for 10 years. Mark, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a bit of BS, to be honest. I, I um, Not a lot of... Um... Not a lot of com- comes out of the uh, Swans camp with regarding contracts and the like. And I think, you know, players, managers, are, obviously mm. it's their job to drive up the offers and drive up. And I, and I think it was probably an initial conversation. And it comes from Norton, its manager, and a reach out from the Swans. What would it take? And 10 years was mentioned, and it goes, goes from there. I, I, I don't think the Swans have met with Norton. They wouldn't offer a 10-year contract without meeting with him. Um, and I, I think this is, you know, the other clubs are... I um I guess uh, uh leaning on the player managers telling the truth, and I think the journos do a great job. This is not on the journos reporting it. I think they get the information, they double check it, and the like. But I think maybe um, some of the player managers drive this, and I, I think it's yeah. causing an issue. No, I, I think I think you're right, and that's where well, right to a certain extent. And we saw Meet Baines, the CEO, get up there when he announced the the deal for Aaron Norton, and he said rival clubs had offered ten years. So how much, I mean, the managers can't bluff too often, but how much GST can they put on a story like that? And can this be a tactic to use in other negotiations? Well, hang on, such and such has offered him this. You'd want to match it. I just want to continue this theme because Adam Cooney was on Sports Day last night with Adam White, and he had this to say about the Bulldogs' tactics in in matching that Sydney deal. Their hands were tied. (laughs) They had to. No, No doubt they would have love to offer Aaron Norton a, a six-year deal on really good money, but when there's an, a 10-year deal on the table elsewhere and multiple clubs willing to throw out millions and millions of dollars over eight, nine, ten years, then what what are the Western Bulldogs supposed to do in that situation? I, they have an obligation to sign Aaron Norton because he is the focal point of that forward line for the next nine years. Coons, this is what they should do. So what, your question is, what are the Western Bulldogs to do once they um, were informed of that information? This is what you do. You let it play out for 12 months. You offer him the deal that you think is fair and reasonable now. If he doesn't want to sign that, okay, oh, that's okay. We've got you contracted for over 12 months. We'll let this season play out. We want you all in. We want to have a crack at winning a premiership. And then if he doesn't accept the very reasonable offer that you put on the table, so be that five, six years on on really good money, you let him go. You get three first-round draft picks for him. 
you clear up salary cap space, you invest that money into keeping Hugo Hagen and English and Darcy, and you replace him with a player on one third of the money who can kick your 40 goals. That, that, that's what you do. And, and I think clubs have got to be more prepared in the current environment to let players go. We've seen Ablett leave Geelong. We've seen Franklin leave Hawthorne. We've seen Jeremy Cameron leave the Giants. We've seen, to a lesser extent, Taranto and Hopper leave. It is not the end of the world. Fremantle lost Adam Chera. Yep, they would have loved to have kept him. They replaced him with Jai Miss, who looks to be a key forward for the next 10 years. I mean, you just make it work. Clubs have to be prepared to let players go, and that's why I loved what Adelaide have done with Tom Duday in this trade period. So thanks for your thoughts, Mark. In Sydney, he's calling BS on the 10-year offer to Aaron Norton. Kaz is in Essendon. Um, I'm mortified by this Clayton Oliver situation and the information that continues to come out. Kaz, what's your thoughts? Yeah, oh, look, I'm a big. I'm going the best of Ferris tonight, so I'm going to actually go up to uh, Kate Rothy and Gary Pert and thank them and say so what a great thing they've done for the club. They've stood up to a player who obviously, this has been going on all year, even before yep. his hamstring uh, thing happened. And I think that just um, magnified it because then he didn't have anything to do. Um, and it's just a little bit to me, it's a, I don't want to lose him, but as the other gentleman said, and I've always said this, the player is not bigger than the club. Tony Lockett left St Kilda. Chris Judd has left West Coast. A lot of this has happened. And we're paying him a lot of money to do his job. And if he is disrespecting the club and also his teammates and the thing... I've been a manager of kids. I would have him... I mean, you sort of sit them down, you talk to them, but you can only do so much. And he now has to make a decision uh, what he wants to do. And also, I totally agree with you about the manager. Now, where is he in all this? Is it part of the manager's job to actually make sure the player is um, doing the right thing for the club. He's earning a lot of money off Clayton as well. So I'm very disappointed that we've heard nothing from his camp. Melbourne's been copying the brunt and they've stood firm, which I'm really proud of my footy club. Um, And you just can't have that one person in any organisation that's causing trouble and... um, Do you think you'll be there, Kaz? I think I asked you this question either yesterday or the day before. Do you think Clayton Oliver will be there tonight? Yes, I don't know. Look, yesterday I thought he would because he is living with Max. So that's a good step in the right Mm. direction. Um, And for Max to take him in. Look, I still think he'll play for Melbourne um, because there's no real deal that Melbourne could do to get what he's worth at all. There's no one out there who can pay that money. Um, And the only thing he has to realise, he wouldn't be going to a club in a premiership window. He'll be going to a club that's down below who has Mm. draft picks. Uh, that's another thing. I'm not sure he's meant to be going in to get his knee scraped. Um, I would love to see him there, and and we can just say, and he, he can get up, although he's not a very good speaker, but to just get up in front of the supporters and just say, hey, look, I'm staying, I'm going to change my weight. That would be a big step in the right direction for him to take responsibility yep. for his actions as well. Good on you. Thanks so. for your thoughts. Appreciate it. You've been pretty wise on this situation and all over it. The Melbourne Best and Ferris is on tonight, so you would think some more information coming out. But I'm with Kaz. Time to unleash the geese. His management is part of the Connor Sports Group as well, which is the most powerful and, and best, to be fair. Robbie Dorazio and Paul, they, they do a magnificent job. Like, if you're managed by someone as a player, you would... Certainly could do worse than be managed by them, but but I think they're letting their client down in this space with the brand damage that has been done. 
uh, and the information that we are receiving through and, and no right of reply from, from that camp. Right, Ronnie, stick around. We'll get to you, James, as well. Um, there was a really interesting story out of New York that I want to touch on as well. Um, I, I just got up my game with the Volcano. Once, wait until you see and hear this audio from one of the New York sports uh, hosts over there. It's extraordinary. And we'll also speak a little bit about some of the best and fairest results last night. I, in particular, want to take a deep dive into the top 10 out of the Geelong Football Club and what it means for the future. You're listening to The Captain's Run. Kane Corns in the chair. Back after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Sammy Edmund is coming up shortly. He's been a busy man at the latest on Clayton Oliver, which we are discussing this morning. He's taking over after 10.30 for those with us in Victoria. That'll be 10 o'clock, of course. If you're with us on 1629 SEN SA in Adelaide, Mark Duffield is one of the best in the business. He's going to join me, as will Tom Morris, with the latest on the trade period as free agency is open. We'll keep you up to speed with any deals that drop this morning, and the draft combine is getting underway this morning as well, where all those hopefuls are pushed and prodded and interviewed and tested um, this morning. A pretty daunting time for these young prospects who are trying to live out their dream and get on an AFL list. Ronnie's in Bendigo. He's been waiting patiently. Ronnie, someone paid 70 grand for Nick Dacos' premiership-worn jumper. You want to speak about valuable memorabilia. Good morning. Good morning, Kane. Hope you're having a fantastic end of your week. Um, stay with me here. My grandfather-in-law uh, used to work at a printing press many, many years ago. Um, and back in the early 1900s, you might recall, probably a bit earlier, a bit well before our time, the mm. footy cards used to be inserted into the cigarette packets. Right. And uh, so where the memorabilia part comes into it, my father-in-law has one whole season... He used to work at the press where they used to make these cards. He has sheets of uncut footy cards from the 1930s. <laughs> so not individual cards. He's got the whole sheets printed from the 1930s. Got, but every player that was printed that season, he has. Yeah. Um, well, my father-in-law has that now. Um, so he stole them when he was working there. Um, so this was, your, this was your wife's grandfather who worked there? And then it's been passed down to your wife's father. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. And yes. then, what are they? What, what do we know? What they, have they had them valued? Do we know what they are worth? Or can we? Can you uh, tell no. us any names of famous players that are on there? Oh, I'm, I'm actually seeing them this weekend. But there's, okay. there's players from, like I said, this is a whole team of the 1930s. Um, if you Google it, you get an idea. Like to give you an idea, one card. From 1908, is worth about 50 bucks. So right. you can imagine a whole sheets. year, a whole year of sheets uncut um, would have to be worth, uh, probably not to the value of Nick's jumper, but it would be worth a significant amount of money. I would have. All right, Ronnie, love it. Uh, we are talking memorabilia. What's the va most valuable thing you own, or has been passed down, or that you've made an extravagant purchase on? Wonder who it was that that bought that jumper. But uh, is Nick Dacos the most famous player in the game and has he got there quicker than anyone else? This text from Tony. Hayden Bunton won two Brownlows in his first two years like cricketer Don Bradman and the racehorse Farlap. Bunton was a sporting champion who made life bearable for the Australian public during the dark days of the Great Depression. A brilliant runner and ball winner, he was regarded by some historians and observers of Aussie rules as its greatest ever player. 
Love it, Tony. Thanks for your thoughts. So perhaps I I jumped the gun on, on Nick Dacos getting there quicker than anyone else when you look at Hayden winning uh, two Brownlows in his first two years. James in Ivanhoe, you want to speak about Aaron Norton, James? G'day, Kane. Uh, mate, just a, a couple of things. First up, Aaron Norton must be waking up the day and Burrow and Kerrin pack his liner. There's only one Alan Bond and he'll be thinking there's only one Western Bulldogs with his, with his deal that he's got. Um, yeah. but the, another thing, um, look, these, these long-year deals, these seven, eight, nine-year deals, look, they're not worth the paper they're written on and Brody Grundy's proven that. The, the clubs will shop around or the clubs will shop around where it's at. Are they now being used, like, when Tassie comes in a four-year's time, They've got currency in Aaron Norton yeah. because they say to Tassie, right, we'll give you, pay half his wage, but we want your number one draft pick. Can they then be used for currency? Our club's thinking outside the square. Feels that way, and, and some and some people are of that belief. They, they think that clubs are doing this so then they can control the player. If they don't want to trade him, they don't have to. If he wants to be traded, they can say no. But then if they do get to a situation four years down the track and he's had some injuries and he's not performing the way that they thought, they can then trade him out. I think that's risky, to, to, to be honest with you. I think, um, you know, as we've seen, you do lose the value of the player if you start shopping him around when he's contracted and the prospect that you have to pay for him to play for another club is ridiculous to me. In a competition that is so even... That's why it's remarkable with what Collingwood have done. They've effectively given up a, a reasonable player's wage by paying Brody Grundy and still won the premiership. But not many clubs are going to be able to do that. So I just think it's ridiculous. And I think the, the quicker clubs realise that they can afford to lose these players and replace them, the better and the better off they'll be for that. Let's quickly get to Tony. Tony, you want to speak about memorabilia? What do you got? Okay. Um, I've got no idea how much it's worth. I've got Stephen Kernahan's signed jumper that he wore in the 95 Premiership Carlton. How'd you get that? Um, I bought it. He was a guest speaker at a Bonnie Babes Foundation back in 90, uh, 90, it was 96. And uh, he bought it in with him and they auctioned what, it off. What'd you pay? Oh, look, you're testing my memory, but I think it was around 300. Is that all? It's worth a lot more than 300, Tony. That's a pretty good investment, I reckon. Where does it sit in your house? Well, my family... They got it framed as a Christmas present, so it's what they did because he signed the number four. So the bloke took the four, put it, stitched it onto the front of the jumper, and it's now in a frame. Love it. All right, 300 bucks. Pretty good investment. He's one of my favourites. That's a Guernsey I would love to have. Thanks, Tony. Michael's got one for us. What's yours, Michael? Hey, Kane, how are you? Good. Uh, yeah, I've actually got two. I've just remembered another one. But um, I got the footy record from Plugger's uh, 1300th goal in a photo. Mm-hmm. And they're both signed by him, a family member, very, uh, a legend of the South Melbourne Footy Club. So he got them signed by him. So they're, that's pretty good. And then I've also, I went to um, the 2001 Cox Plate with, as, uh, with a mate of mine as a horse trainer and he knew Fred Kersley so he got us up in the committee room um, after Northley won the Cox Plate and I got my committee pass and Fred Kersley signed that so um, yeah they were two good things I've got Keep a hold of those mate, love you sharing that with us, what's your favourite piece of memorabilia that you own on the back of Nick Dacos' jumper going for 70 grand like $40,000 more than the next best and that was Jordan Ngoi and then Scott Penderbury. Remarkable what this young man 
uh, is doing to people. They're losing their minds over it. Uh, time for the news headlines coming up on the McCafe menu. Mark Duffield. And I want to speak about this amazing story out of New York. We'll do that next. Coming up shortly, Mark Duffield and Tom Morris before Sam Edmund takes over with the remainder of the show. Uh, I got sent this last night. So um, the New York Giants in the NFL, they're, they're not having a good time of it. And it's not a great place to be at the Giants if you are not performing well. So the first four games of the NFL season, they are one and three. It's been an absolute disaster for them. They made the playoffs last year. And things haven't gone well. Their defense um, has been ordinary, and their ability to protect the quarterback Danny jo- uh, Danny Dimes, Danny Jones, Daniel Jones, that is, has been non-existent. And the players are frustrated. So one of their players is Evan Neal. He referred to the crowd as sheep, and one of the New York sports hosts over there, by the name of Don Lagreca, responded to Evan Neal, a Giants player, calling the crowd sheep. Have a listen. Right tackle Evan Neal looked up towards the stands, raised his arms, and gestured sarcastically. He said he did not flip off fans, but he did yell a clear message to them. They are booing us, so I said, boo louder, Neal told NJ Advance Media on Wednesday. Why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of a sheep, he added. The person that's commenting on my performance, what does he do? Flip hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere? Are you kidding me? I'd cut his ass. I would. How dare you? These people pay your salary. They pay an obnoxious amount of money to park, an obnoxious amount of money for PSLs to sit there and watch this pap, and you call them hamburger flippers? What, you're so much better? I'd rather have a guy that's flipping hamburgers blocked than your piece of garbage ass. Who the hell are you to talk to fans like that? You piece of garbage. I hate when players do that. You're not above us. What, because you happen to play a sport? You're better than me. You're better than the people that pay your salary. These giant fans were here before you, and they'll be here after your sorry ass is cut. What a piece of human trash. And I don't want to hear some apology. I don't want to hear, oh, I was taken out of contact. I didn't mean, I don't want to hear, done, done. I would cut his fat ass. You see him in the mall of Willowbrook, boo his ass. If you see him on the DMV, boo him. Don't stop booing him. If he goes to the Pro Bowl, boo him. If he wins a Super Bowl, boo his sorry ass. Screw that guy. We're not nobody. Flipping, but how are you taught? How do you condescend to people that pay to watch you play? Poorly, I might add. It's one of the great sprays I've ever heard, and the pressure is on. I've got to, I've got to turn things up a notch. Like there, There's no way we are going hard enough in Australian media. that That's what they are serving up there in New York. That's one of the great sprays that I have ever heard. He wants him sacked. He called him a piece of garbage. He called him overweight. So that's Don LaGreca. Congratulations, Don. In terms of a volcano, that's about as vicious as it gets. And on the back of that, I, I think we've just got to raise the bar and just, just turn it up a notch. I feel like I probably could have gone harder on the Western Bulldogs yesterday with that stupid nine-year contract that they've offered Aaron Norton and probably just could have turned it up a notch and just raised the Bunsen burner on on Nick Geeshan, Clayton Oliver's manager, and, and Clayton Oliver himself this morning. We're going to speak to Mark Duffield. There is a big story out of the Eagles when they missed a player that they clearly thought they were going to get. Devin Robinson, what's happening with pick one? There's heaps to discuss with Mark Duffield. He's one of the best in the business. He's going to join me next. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Jungle 
Uh, flying through this morning. Strong response to my man Don LaGreca with the big spray. The New York sports host who just went to town on one of the players at the Giants, Evan Neal. And I've just decided that we're going to turn it up just, just a fraction to try and compete with that. We are not going hard enough. Joining me now uh, is a man who has had a big year, part of the SEN crew now, of course, been doing it for a long time and has his finger on the pulse with all things across the board, but particularly out west. His name is Mark Duffield. Hey, mate, how disappointed would the Eagles have been on Devin Robinson saying, you know what, I'm going to stay with a club where I might not even be guaranteed a position for a lesser contract because of the culture and our ability to win a premiership versus going to the Eagles starting round one in the centre bounce for a more lucrative contract and to go home to his home state. It's a big blow. I thought, look, I think it's a setback, but I also think that teams down the bottom often make the mistake of thinking that fringe players at a good team will become great players for their team, and it, it mm. tends not to be the case. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's a setback, and clearly it shows that West Coast right now are not a destination football club. That's stated in the obvious. Um, and Robertson also, I think, don't underestimate the character of the kid. Like, he was a leader at the under-18s level. He's not the sort of kid that's going to walk away from a challenge like that. He would see the Lions as, you know, in the premiership window and he would back himself into, you know, staying the team. I think he's got a challenge on his hand because I think Ashcroft will return to that team at some stage next year. And obviously yep. his younger brother is arriving soon after that. And at that point, spots in that midfield are going to be hard to come by. But, but the other thing for him is don't forget that let's say West Coast stay with the plan to go with Harley Reid and they've got Jinby and Hewitt. All of those three players would back themselves in two years' time to be ahead of Devin Robertson in the pecking order as well. So, mm. um, yeah, I think if you're a fringe player in the AFL, as Devin is, um, and even though he fought his way into the team at the end of the season, he still played, what, 16 or 25 games, um, it's a tough gig, you know, and um, and I think he... he probably believes if he has a bit of luck and plays his cards right, he has a chance to be part of team success over the next two years at the Lions. So yeah. I, I think he, I think he's made a good call. Pretty reasonable assessment, I would have thought. What's the latest uh, with the West Coast CEO? Is it going to be Don Pike? Well, I think he's definitely in the mix. He's keen on the job and they have clearly reached out to him and sounded him out. Um, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. And when I spoke to Paul Fitzpatrick earlier this week, he was very cagey about who was in the field. I think as I wrote for Code Sports, if there's one person in the AFL industry who could make the jump from a position of being an assistant coach to being the CEO in a big club, it's Don Pike. He has a, a, a very strong business background. Clearly, he's a very intelligent bloke. West Coast tend to like blokes that they know and that they're familiar with, and they're obviously very familiar with Don Pike. So I would, I would expect him to be right in the front line when they uh, when they make their selection. Adam Simpson will definitely be the coach for round one. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I, I mean, God, they've had a bad two years. Um, Kane, but it's going to look even worse if they if they back him um, after round 24 and then sack him before round one. So, yeah. Even if a new CEO comes in and has a different lens and a different opinion, or will they only pick a CEO that will be in line with the board and on the same page? Well, at West Coast, the board decides the CEO, uh, decides the CEO and the coach. So, um, yeah, the, the board is back Simpson, so Simpson will be there. 
um, in round one. Don't forget, John Pike has worked with Adam Simpson as well. So um, Simpson brought him back into the um, the group when when he first arrived, and he was his stoppage and strategy coach. Um, and they worked very successfully together before Pike took the job in Adelaide. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought that if Don Pike were the CEO that it would affect Adam Simpson's tenure as the coach. Mm. What's what's a pass mark, do you think, for the Eagles next year? And it's probably not in relation to wins and losses, is it? But eventually, you know, it has to be. It, it can't be a two-win season, um, Duff. What, what do you think is a realistic expectation on the club? Well, a developing team should be capable, once they get young talent, should be capable of, you know, somewhere between five and eight strong performances. So therefore, you'd be saying, you know, somewhere between five and seven wins. The percentage in the, um, you know, in the 70s to 85 bracket, as opposed to down in the in the 50 to 60 bracket, um, not the strings of bad losses, not the strings of completely uncompetitive performances when they're just not in games at any stage at all. Um, so it's almost like you'd measure them almost quarter by quarter more than, you know, mm. wins and losses over the season. But I think they should be capable of winning, you know, six games and they should be capable of um, far fewer blowout losses and, um, and, and more strong competitive quarters of footy within games. Do you think they are on the same page with pick one and what to do now that the line has been consistent with the club that at this stage they will use pick one on, on Harley Reid unless something extraordinary comes across their desk. But then we're hearing yeah. that there's a lot of clubs that want it, North and, and Hawthorne in particular. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I reckon the talk on Harley Reid's going to be crazy because at the end of the day, he's one player. Yeah. And if you take three steps back from this and assume that the talk about, you know, all these crazy offers coming for Harley Reid almost makes the assumption that there's one kid in Australia that can play at the age of 18. It's a pretty crazy assumption, isn't it? I mean, I've seen yeah. Daniel Curtin play six games of senior footy for Claremont. Now, he's somewhere in the top five, but not necessarily number two. Daniel Curtin looks a pretty bloody good player to me. Mm. Um, and and um, so you know, West Coast, like Harley Reid, they think he's the best player in the draft. They will take him unless they clearly think they're winning in a trade situation. Now, if they're winning in a trade situation, that probably means the team that they're trading with are losing um, in that trade situation. So Yeah, it's um, pretty yeah, similar I'll, like to... To Horn, the Horn Francis one before he was picked and the offers coming to North for pick one. So I think Adelaide was three first-round picks with something back in the second round. I think Richmond had an offer that was similar. Now, in hindsight, North should have done that deal, really, because he left a year later. And, and there's not it's not without risk that Harley Reid might want to do the same in three years' time. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. But having said that, going to a, a small Melbourne club um, outside of your own state. I mean, let's face it, when West Coast get competitive again, which you would expect them to be more competitive next year and and more competitive again the year after that, um, Harley Reid would be coming for three years if he comes. Um, by that stage, you would expect West Coast to be definitely pointed up with. West Coast is a monster club. Mm. Um, you know, when West Coast are competitive, they're playing in front of 50,000 people every week at Optus Stadium in their home game. It's, it's not a bad place to be. 
Well, even right. even when they're lo- even when they're as bad as Fitzroy, there's still forty one, forty two thousand people turning up. It's it's remarkable. Hey, before we let you go, a word out of Freo. Pretty pretty quiet trade period, but the pressure's going to be on next year. Oh, big big time. I mean, at the end of the day, if they don't play finals next year, then Justin Longmuir's been there for five years for one finals berth, which you would mm. think would mean the end of Justin Longmuir. So, um, yeah, I would think they have to be playing finals next year. I, the interesting watch there is Sean Darcy, isn't it? I mean, yep. I've, I've heard what you've had to say about it. Um, I, I, I kind of like 75% agree with you. I, I think it, at the very least, Fremantle has to be having the conversation amongst themselves about not is Sean Darcy a good player, because clearly he is, yep. not whether he can team with Luke Jackson, because I think they are different types of ruckmen, so I think they can. It's whether they can get a better outcome by going a different way and whether they need that amount of money invested in ruck stocks that they would need to re-sign Sean Darcy. Because clearly, um, Sean Darcy has indicated he wants to stay, but they're obviously haggling over money and tenure because it hasn't been done yet. Yep, exactly. Um, And and is he he going to be durable enough with... The, the way that he's built and, and made up. And we've seen, you know, even like way back in the day, Sean ran a couple of knees. He's a big man. Is he going to be durable enough for the 10 years? And is right now the best time to get him out and get his maximum value? Duff, we could do this for ages. Unfortunately, out of time, but appreciate the update, mate. Thanks for your time. Good on you, Kane. Cheers. Mark yeah. Duffield there. If you want to have your say on any of that, one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 coming up very, very shortly. Tom Morris with all the latest as the free agency window is open. It's Kane Corns in for Sammy Edmund on the captain's run, albeit Sammy will be with you from 10.30. He's been in good form, busy period for uh, uh, the likes of himself. As Tom Morris has been busy as well, he's going to join us, ready to go, standing by live in the studio for all the latest on the trade period and free agency opening today. The draft combine also um, gets underway today, the 2K time trial is on this afternoon i believe wonder if i'd still clean a few up in the 2k time i'd back myself in i reckon to clean a few of those players up six minutes has got to be your target time if you want to play in the midfield Uh, we'll have all those results for you throughout the weekend tom morris with the trade news standing by he's been in good form he's going to join us next you don't want to miss it the captain's run with sam edmund Kane Corn sharing duties with Sammy Edmund for this week, certainly, and the next week and a bit. And if you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, you missed our chat with Mark Duffield, who was excellent. We also had a chat about Clayton Oliver and went in all sorts of different directions in the first hour for anything that you've missed. You can catch up on that on the podcast. As you heard on breakfast this morning, my cruise's Friday FOMO offer is going to be announced today, so stick around to hear that later in the show. Speaking of breakfast... He was on fire with Derm this morning, and my next guest has hung around the studios doing a lot of work. Uh, his name is Tom Morris. Tom, thanks for stopping by again. Thank you, Kane. There's a bit going on, and uh, the free agency window opens today, which is probably um, what most footy fans, especially Essendon fans, are most interested in. Yep, we'll get to that in a moment. It's our trade update for Tyre Power. Great race sale is now on. Uh, off the top of the program, I, I said it's time to unleash the geesh. Nick Geeshin is Clayton Oliver's manager. <laughs> Why hasn't he spoken? And do Melbourne, sorry, do Clayton Oliver and his camp need to clarify 
why the club are asking him to treat staff and teammates with respect, prepare the way that he should, and to turn up to training in proper condition. Oh. I think this is mortifying for Clayton, and I think that um, his management need to clear up whether, firstly, that's accurate, and protect his brand a little bit because his brand has been absolutely butchered in the last week. Kane, um, that is a really good point. It's hard to argue with the fact that Nick Geeshan... Uh, okay, so this is what I think of the situation as it stands at the moment. The ball is in Clayton Oliver's court. It's up to him how he wants to respond to these suggestions from Melbourne Football Club. I think what's most important is that Melbourne Football Club say something more than Nick Geeshan. Nick Geeshan, as his manager, has a role to play for sure. But I think given the sensitivities and the and the, and the delicate nature of what we're dealing with, that's more than just football with Clayton Oliver, mm. Nick Geeshan's primary responsibility is to broker some sort of arrangement between the two clubs where they can harmoniously move on into the future and be together. I think getting in front of uh, the media and telling the media about Clayton Oliver, as much as I would love it <laughs> as a media person, I think that's secondary for Nick Geeshan, his manager. So why do you think Melbourne are not talking? I mean, clearly that is strategic, the reason they're not talking. Now, my, my view would be that uh, they've just had enough. I mean, they've tried all sorts of things, I can assume. You, you mentioned the Max Gorn stuff, which you've reported, the yep. frustrations. They would have been countless. I can't imagine the amount of time the leadership group has been taken up by Clayton Oliver sitting through this. It becomes tiresome. Mm. Melbourne have gone, okay, well, this is our last resort. We're, we're happy for this to fester and get big on Clayton Oliver. I think that's the case. And uh, I note that the Herald Sun has reported in the last 24 hours, or even less than that, that um, now Oliver is more open to staying and Melbourne, It's what's the word they use? It, the trade talks have de-escalated, is what the that's Herald it. Sun have said, that's which it. is, <laughs> which is a, a funny term in itself. But... Those journalists, Jay Clark and Mark Robinson, they're accurate journalists. They're not getting that story from someone outside the club. So the club is talking. They're not, just not talking on the record. And there are people inside Melbourne Football Club that are briefing um, journalists mm. as to what's going on. And how, how do you think Sam Edmund had that really good story yesterday uh, about the um, uh, shape up or, or ship yeah. off? Yeah. Do you think that's from a, thir a second or third-hand source? No way. So, yeah. I think people need to understand that the demons are talking. They're just not talking on the record because I think they wanted to send a really strong warning shot across the bows to Clayton Oliver. Mm. This is not to say that their threat is a veiled threat. If Clayton Oliver doesn't come to the party, they're open to trading Clayton Oliver. Exactly what we said a couple of days so ago. That's why I'd love to hear from well, Clayton Oliver's manager. He pays him three to four percent of a seven-year deal. That's a, add that up. Maybe just not years. yet, though, Kane. That's a lot. Well, it's I, not I, resolved I, yet. But the brand damage that's been done to their client is significant. We're talking about a guy who can't even respect his teammates, can't turn up to training in a state to train, can't turn up to a exit interview on time. Yeah, but Kane, that's that a lot of. Uh, you so, would understand. So they need to, yeah. So they need to say, look, this is Clayton's dealing whatever whatever it is. Yeah. There's a sensitive way. I mean, these these guys are professionals in their field with dealing with a whole host of issues on off the field there is a way that you can frame the message um to paint your client in a in a better light now and, and but also giving some truth to it if it's off field issues if it's mental health whatever it is there's a way that you can shape the narrative right now he's been hung out to dry 
and clearly some of that is and and most of it is is his doing but i'm sure there's a second side to the story as well which we're we're not hearing as well and surely that we need a resolution first before they can speak well the resolution would be if he wants to stay at so you you think he's umming and ahhing about whether he actually sees Melbourne? Oh, I don't know exactly. As his I, I can't profess to know exactly no. what he's thinking. But without a clear resolution, a an on the record statement from Melbourne uh, saying Clayton Oliver will be with us next year, bar nothing, he's here. That's it. Then I think it's fair enough that Nick Geishan hasn't spoken yet. The club needs to say something first, and then you're right. The brand damage that's been done to the player that should mean that. If it's not Oliver, then his management speaks. But I think the club mm. needs to say something first. That's the first port of call. All right. You can have your say on that. one 736 736 Tom and I see it just a little bit differently now. Some breaking news coming through on Trade Radio. Kautumi reporting that Brisbane Lions ruck forward Tommy Fullerton will seek a trade to Melbourne. The 24-year-old didn't play a senior game this year. 19 games across his career at the Lions. And I was wondering what Melbourne were going to do. Um, Grundy gone. I was like, well, that's not going to help. Melbourne get better as a footy club and Max mm. Gorn's 32. Fullerton is a is a backup and one of those ruckmen on the merry-go-round, Tom. Yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was whispers about uh, Scott Lysette being a backup to Max Gorn as well. Um, Tom Fullerton, when was he contracted to? I've got it here. I think Tom Fullerton contracted to the end of this year, so he's out of contract. It makes sense to go to Melbourne as a backup for Max Gorn, but um, I'm not sure that any other ruckman looking to be a first-choice ruck would go there after what happened this year with Brody Grundy. I mean, Max Gorn's clearly the number one. But what it does do, it positions Fullerton in a position that if Gorn goes down, that he can he can take his spot. Um, or if he if he retires in a couple of years, maybe Fullerton's the one. So I think Melbourne tried for a few. They probably missed a couple, but in the end, they've they've got someone. And they needed someone to back up as well. I was always interested that they weren't interested in um, Marbio Troll at all. I know he's not a, not a, uh, a full-time mm. ruckman, but they mm. showed no interest in him whatsoever. Um, and now he's requested a trade to Hawthorne. So I can't imagine that trade being too complex when uh, Brisbane and Melbourne sit down at the trade table next week. Pretty simple one. Mm. All right, let's talk about free agency, which is now open, but nothing's happened in the first hour of it. Uh, who will be the first? I don't know who the first is going to be, but you probably look at the unrestricted guys like um, Todd Goldstein. There still might be a bit to iron out there, though. Um, you've, got to under- you've got to understand that the... Restri- so the, that's unrestricted Todd Goldstein. The restricted guys like Tom Duday, like Ben Mackay, even like Jade Gresham, um, there needs to be some time after the bids go in to see if their current clubs match those bids. So there's no rush to do these deals. That None of them are going to be huge surprises, I don't think. And I said earlier that you can lock it in that Jade Gresham will nominate Essendon as his club. So he does want to play for Essendon next year. Um, all that's remaining is what his deal looks like and then what sort of compensation that gets back. And we had an AFL briefing, Kane, yesterday um, uh, at, at AFL House regarding the free agency formula, and they're happy for us to talk about it. And I learned a lot about what the free ans- what goes into the free agency formula. Mm. You know, and it was extremely interesting. And one of the things what, the what AFL... What was is, your biggest takeout? Uh, well, it doesn't matter if you sign an eight-year deal or a three-year deal. It's still just the average money in the contract. So if you sign eight years and it's $8 million in total, or three years and $3 million in total, it's the same compensation. It doesn't take into account the length of the contract, which is interesting. It yeah. just takes into should account. Should I think it probably should, but it sort of does anyway with the age of the player. The younger you are, the more likely you are to um, elicit um, 
a first round compo in return, but it's a sliding scale and it goes sharply up from there to 25 to 26. So Jade Gresham's 26, Ben Mackay's 25, and it takes your age on October 31. That's what matters. Um, and I think the the reality for Essendon is they need to work out what they need to pay Gresham in order for St Kilda to get the compensation they want so that potentially the Dylan Shield trade can be more amicable down the track in trade week next week. So there's still mm. a bit to work through there, but Gresham will choose Essendon as his preferred destination. And what sort of figures are we talking there and what sort of compensation do you think the Saints will get? Uh, well, we're talking figures maybe 750, 800 a year for Gresham. Wow. Um, they're the figures that have been bandied about. How long the deal is, as I said, doesn't really matter as long as it's two or more, two or more years, which it will be. And then the Saints would get a first-round compensation in return. Um, but the AFL is very strong on the fact that these clubs, so North Melbourne in the case of Ben Mackay and St Kilda in the case of Jade Gresham, will not get a look or an indication as to what compensation they will get back before they have a choice whether to match it or not. So you can be cynical about what conversations happen behind the scenes, but officially there'll be no indication as to what um, what compensation they get. So the Saints will have to... Just, Sorry, the Ruse and the Saints will have to decide whether they match the bid, not knowing what compensation um, mm. they'd get. So that's an interesting mm. little wrinkle in it as well. It was a very good meeting with the AFL, and they explained it very clearly about how it all plays out, and it's based on the cohort, um, and it's also based on the age of the player and the and the and the potential for guaranteed earnings over a period of time. Was it Laura Kane that led that? Meeting? She didn't lead it. She was in the meeting. Um, it was the list management team that led it, but yeah. it was uh, there was about seven or eight journos there. And, Hopefully it educated us all, but it is quite complex. Mm. All right. How keen are the Bombers on Port Adelaide Xavier Dersma? Yeah, they're keen. Um, I saw, I think Ralphie reported that he had a a, um, a medical there yesterday. They're one of the clubs that's in for him. This doesn't mean that Port are pushing him out. doesn't mean that he's adamant that he must leave, but we know how these things work, Kane. That as soon as the player opens his mind and Port says it's not completely off the table, as Chris Davies said with you yesterday on Trade Radio, that it's absolutely a chance to take place. Um and, uh, and I know that Xavier Dersma's open to it as well. So it's one of those things that could easily play out. But Essendon, yeah, they're one of the clubs that's very keen. And if, if you think about it, if Essendon can get Xavier Dersma, Jade Gresham, mm. Todd, Gold, Todd Goldstein and Ben Mackay in, and all they have to give up for those four is Brandon Zerk Thatcher and, um, and salary cap space, that's a pretty good trade haul, let alone what that, else they'll do. Yeah, you'd have to give a bit more for Dersma than Zerk Thatcher. Yeah, but that would be part of the trade. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. That Ders, I think Dersma's better than Zerk Thatcher, so maybe some draft picks as well. And those players, probably not enough to move the needle on the Bombers, but it's good depth. And, and Mackay would be the one that they hope um, holds up and plays better than he has. I'm, I'm a cynic on, on his form and what he's been able to produce at the level and his durability and his, uh, you know, his ball use as well. So whether he's the one for the Bombers to take them to the next level, but certainly it adds to their depth. Speaking of depth, the Dogs have got uh, former Saints high draft pick, that's Nick Caulfield, who's going to join mm. them. What role do you think the Dogs have got him penciled in for? Is he the nice-size, medium-intercepting defender who's who's got some attributes that they like? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what role they've got him penciled in for, but I do know that they've been keen on him for quite some time. And St Kilda, I think, offered a one-year deal. It wasn't much. So he was keen to stay at the Saints, but they and there was a role for him to stay at the Saints. But I think when the Dogs are offering a multi-year deal, it makes sense that he looks to go there. And I don't think that trade's going to be too complex either. Um, I'd be surprised if it was any more than a, a late second, early third, to use a cliche, but certainly maybe a future third. I, 
I don't think that's going to be a complex trade at all when Sam Power and, and Stephen Silvani sit down and nut that one out. Um, the other one at St Kilda is Hunter Clark, who now looks like he's going to stay at the Saints, um, albeit on significantly reduced money. Two more years would take him to free agency, so I'd, it won't be any more than two years. It might even be one year. Um, there was some interest from North Melbourne last year, you'd remember. I think Sam Edmund might have reported that um, it was just about done to North Melbourne then it fell over at the last moment, but it looks like Hunter Clark will stay. And the other one at St Kilda, Kane, that's interesting is Paddy Dow. And I, uh, we reported on this yesterday, the, I guess the brewing angst between Carlton and St Kilda over what Paddy Dow is worth and the fact that Stephen Silvani will want um, to get Paddy Dow as a delisted free agent or through the, um, through the pre-season draft, whereas Carlton's adamant that they should trade for Paddy Dow and that he's worth a draft pick. So that's just another small chapter in the uh, Stephen Silvani Carlton recent history, which is probably checkered to say the least. Yeah, we haggle over things that probably aren't going to make a huge yeah. difference. It's going to be a very late draft pick and perhaps a draft pick that may not even get used. That's but, right. Uh, uh, we'll wait but we love see. talking about it, don't we? With well, well, it's good. Oh, and exactly because of the history there and, and yeah. the angst that uh, is created. Um, the combine today? Yep. What can we expect? Well, all these clubs are speaking to the, the best young players in the country. Um, there's there's lots of testing, clearly. Um, I've talking to a couple of clubs that are a little bit frustrated that on the first day of the free agency period, there's also the draft combine. They wish the draft combine was yesterday or the day before because some of these clubs are, are really keen to get into the free agency market and they're being... I think distracted is probably harsh given that it's the future of their club, but they'd prefer, prefer to be focused on the free agency market today and the combine on another day. And these list managers and national recruiting managers have to do both. But I'll be interested to see some of the testing at the end of the day. I think it finishes late tonight, so it's a very long day. But what it does give the chance for these clubs to do, Kane, is to see each other face-to-face as well in the hallways at Marvel Stadium and maybe have some informal meetings as well, which is pretty important. But mm. it actually might hold up some of this free agency work today. Normally the free agency um, pool starts to get uh, whittled down on on this day, but now the combine is here, it might have to wait till Monday. Love your work, Tommy. It's going to be a busy day. You'll be all over it. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Kane. Chat to you soon. That's Tom Morris there with the update for Tyre Power. Get the equivalent of 25% off selected Kumo tyres during the great race sale at Tyre Power. And the weather today, possible light shower, top of 15. That's for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Back with more on the Captain's Run after this short break. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Um, you've just been such a fantastic leader of our footy club. Um, the individual performances that you've delivered again this year um, are something that make us all so proud. But can I just take one minute to explain um, how important Tom is behind the scenes at our footy club? I think you saw it. Um, conveyed a little bit in, in, in the community award that, that Tom um, won and he, he does remind me in some ways of the leadership that people like Tom Harley and Joel Selwood provided over the years. He's so much more than what he does on the field. He's so much more than what he does even on the training track. He is becoming and has become someone that the whole Geelong community can be proud of. So Stewie, congratulations on this one but even more than that, congratulations for everything you've become. That was Chris Scott speaking and recognising the now two-time a best and fairest winner, Tom Stewart, four-time All-Australian. Is he four or five now? Well, it's amazing. He's gone straight to the Australian Football Hall of Fame, is Tom Stewart. But that, that was the good news out of it. What I wanted to discuss, and I had a similar thought on Richmond's best and fairest the other day, is that the, the top 10 is old. And, and we would expect it to be the case because of Geelong's success and the way they've gone about building their list 
But there is a warning, and I guess the warning's been there for a, a long time. So Stewart won it. He's 30. Atkins was second. He's 28. Grian Myers was third. He's 24. And Zach Guthrie was fourth. He's 25. But then it goes Jeremy Cameron, fifth. He's 30. Blixarves is 32. Blake Close, 25. Dangerfield, 33. Hawkins, 35. And Isaac Smith with 10th. And he's now old and retired with all due respect. So who of the young group of Geelong players are going to come through? I really like Bruin. I like on Ollie Henry. Not sure about Bose and whether he's uh, a 200-game player or not. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see about where the next crop of Geelong players are coming from. You compare that to Sydney, and I look at their best and fairest. This is why I think Sydney is in an excellent position. Of course, didn't work out the way that they would have liked this year, but Goulden won it. He's 21. Blakey was second. Early 20s, Rowbottom third. So the top three of Sydney's best and fairest, all early 20s with 10 years left in them. Parker was fourth, so um, he doesn't have a lot of footy left in him. But then Warner, early 20s, was fifth. Ollie Florent was sixth, early 20s. So the five out of the top six of Sydney's best and fairest are early 20s with at least 10 years left in them. Compare that to Richmond and Geelong and the way that their top 10 of the best and fairest reads. And you'd much rather be Sydney than you'd, you'd want to be Geelong and Richmond, albeit they've had their success, but how they go about navigating a really challenging period after you haven't had access to the top end of the draft, or in Richmond's case, you've traded away all your picks, um, is going to be a real, real challenge for them. But Tom Stewart, what a player going straight to the Australian Football Hall of Fame. If you want to have your say on that, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. This text coming through, Dersma played sample this season. How could you say he's worth more than Zerk Thatcher? If Zerk Thatcher plays as a third tall rather than a key, he will be all Australian. I've heard it all. I've heard, if, if Zerk Thatcher becomes an all Australian next year, I will, I don't know, I'll run around. I don't know what I'll do. I'll do something. You can send your suggestions through of what I should do if Zerk Thatcher becomes an all Australian. He's going to be playing sample next year if all goes to plan. I doubt whether he's going to be a first up choice for Port Adelaide's first six defenders, let alone being an All-Australian. And Dersma played sample because he's coming back from a serious injury. He's a pick 18 from three or four years ago, burst onto the scene. Yep, he's got some flaws in his game. His ball use at times lets him down, but um, he's certainly not worth what he was drafted at, Xavier Dersma, but he's worth a lot more than Zerk Thatcher, who had more goals kicked on him than any other player in the league this year. I don't know why Port Adelaide are going after him, to be fair. Andrew's in Mill Park. You want to speak about Richmond's BNF, Andrew? Kane, um, yes. not sure if you're due for a holiday, mate, because it's been a long year for you. But I was just driving, and I had to pull over because I just nearly had a car accident after you criticising Richmond's top five compared to Geelong's age list. So, first of all, I just wanted to see how you are and if you are due for a holiday, because if you've had a look, Richmond's top five, Torino's 25. Martin's obviously 31, which is a little bit old, but it's still 32, smart. I reckon. I think he's 32. You're fine by round one next year. Yeah, well, 32 next year, but at the moment he's 31. Uh, you've got Dan Rioli, who's 26. Uh, you've got Lawson, who's pushing 30, which, yes, I understand with that regard. But then you've got um, Shy Bolton, who's 24. So comparing to Geelong's list, I'm not sure what, what's they're comparing. And then you've got after the five, you've got Noah Bolton, Lee Baker, who, who are in their mid-20s. So I do agree with your extent, though, that uh, you know we are getting to the old age of our list. 
But don't compare us to Geelong, mate, because yeah, we're, we're way off. So no, I just think when well, yeah, well, Geelong had close in their top ten. He's twenty five. They had Myers, who's twenty four. They had Zach Guthrie, who's twenty five. So I mean, there is some comparisons. Atkins is twenty eight, so he's not an older player. I'm just my 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 concern is when you finish thirteenth and you don't have representation of players under the age of 24 in the top 10 of your best and fairest, it is, it's a warning sign. And the same goes for Geelong. You look at Gold Coast and the age demographic of their best and fairest. They didn't play finals. That's when you want the youngsters coming through. Noah Anderson, Rao, Flanders, these types of players, they're going to drive the next group. Lacocious, it's just not the same. And, and that's, that's not anyone's fault. It's just the reality of it. When you have that success, you don't have access to the top end of the draft. And then it becomes an issue on, on how you get the next crop of talent through. And I, I don't think you can argue with that there would be warning signs in Geelong and Richmond's best and fairest, as opposed to, to Sydney and the representation that they have had. Anyway, speaking of holidays, I'm going to have my first day off in six months tomorrow. I'll enjoy it, but I'll be back bright. I'll be fresh. I'll be ready to go. I'll be fired up. And I look forward to speaking to you on Monday. Have a magnificent weekend, everyone. Welcome back to Mornings and a big thank you to Kane Corns. In fact, uh, old habits don't die hard. It's the captain's run. Of course it is for State Transport. Our people are your solution. Sam Edmund with you for the next 90 minutes. A big thanks to Kane Corns for steering us through first half of the program. And I'll set you up for the next little bit in a moment. Before we do all that... um, just a quick update on the trade front. I tell you, I just want to talk about a couple of clubs that are super, super busy um, at the moment. So Essendon, really aggressive in this AFL trade period. Todd Goldstein will happen. Might not today. I know free agency is open today. A few things still to work through there, certainly soon. Ben Mackay, Xavier Dersmer actually now open to a move. Could be to Essendon, uh, as has been reported. Zerk Thatcher the other way. You know, the truth with Xavier Dersmer is, and I know Kane Corns was speaking about this earlier, He's met with a bunch of clubs, and he's going to meet with a bunch more over the weekend. Now, he hasn't stated he wants a trade yet, and if he does, that won't happen until next week. But, gee, both he and Port are on the same page when it comes to him exploring his options. And if you run it through, the most likely outcome is that that actually takes place. In truth, this has been coming for a while. There have been rumblings in the past couple of years as injury and form have kept Xavier Dersmer out of the senior side at Port Adelaide for periods of seasons. Now, He's been unhappy with that in those recent seasons, but up until now, not to the point where it would compel him to seek a trade to another club. So this one is absolutely alive. Pick 18, 2018 draft burst onto the scene in year one, but hasn't been able to go on with it thus far. So that one will unfold over the weekend when he gets in front of some more clubs and uh, and gets face-to-face with a few potential new landing spots. I think we can just about put a big uh, text through Clayton Oliver's name now. I know he's had a lot of talk over the last three or four days, but his club, Melbourne, have got a commitment uh, from the Brisbane Lions defender Tom Fullerton today who as well, who wants to join them. Shane McAdam does as well. And St Kilda and Carlton are going to be really fascinating from here in their dealings over Paddy Down, what that looks like. The Saints as well as Essendon, among the busier clubs in the league. Gresham, what are they expecting or wanting from Essendon? And is it in relation to Dylan Shield? I'm told there's a fair bit to play out there. Liam Henry, Fremantle, certainly talking tough on him. What do they actually want? And what are the Saints prepared to give? 
What would the Saints want for Jack Billings? Now, that player's overseas at the moment, and as Tom Morris has reported, would dearly love a move elsewhere, but you need some strong interest first to state the obvious. So would the Saints contribute to the wage with two more years on that contract? Carlton have been linked, given, as I say, Paddy Dow looks like heading the other way, but that's not happening as things stand. The Blues have shown zero interest in Jack Billings. Hunter Clark is staying. It would appear Nick Coffield wants to get to the Bulldogs, having met with the coach Luke Beveridge and done a medical there. That might be a future pick involved in that one, given the Dogs are up uh, to it, up to their eyeballs when it comes to pick four at the Gold Coast Suns. So that's where it sits. I actually noted an interesting uh, text from one of our tweet from one of our own here, Brad Koblanski on Twitter, who gave us a history lesson on St Kilda's first round draft picks, 2014 to 2018. Now, before I go into this, the last couple of years, really strong. They've nailed it, the Saints. When you think Naziah Wanganee Miller, uh, Mitch Owens, Marcus Windhager, most recently Matthias Filippo as well. But that 2014 to 18 block in which in ideal circumstances, these players are absolutely taking flight. Paddy McCartan, pick one. Jack Billings, the pick three. Max King gets a tick, of course, at pick four. Hunter Clark, pick seven, hasn't quite reached the heights. Nick Coffield, pick eight. Now looks like he's going to join the dogs. And Jade Gresham at pick 18, who for a time looked like he was about to set sail but we'll now explore a move elsewhere under free agency. But as I say, last couple of years, they have nailed it. Bunch of, bunch of best and fairest on uh, last night as well. I'll steer you through those results in a moment. GWS, uh, the Swans, Geelong and Essendon all having their best and fairest counts. Uh, on the captain's run, you can call us anytime. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The 40 Wings temper is 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. So let's set ourselves up, shall we, up until midday. The McCaffey menu. Aaron Noonan's up at Bathurst. Had some qualifying today. More to come up there on the mountain. So Aaron Noonan right in the thick of it. We'll cross up to him very, very soon. Gareth Hall, all things racing to headline our final hour. We'll go over to India where we'll find Bharat Sundarason, who, of course, is there at the ODI World Cup. And didn't New Zealand give England a good old smacking last night? The Aussies in action on Sunday against the hosts, India. Simon Gerrans might be... Well, certainly is one of the most decorated cyclists Australia has ever produced, and he's doing the Around the Bay, uh, United Energy Around the Bay in a day this coming Sunday. That all is all ahead of us on uh, the McCafe menu, McCafe, our official coffee partner. As heard on breakfast this morning, the My Cruises Friday FOMO offer will be announced today, so stick around to hear it a bit later in the show. You can check out the jackpots available on the BuddyBet app as well. Make your selection, claim the pot. I'll steer you through that in a moment. And what's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. After this break, let's get up to Mount Panorama and talk some Bathurst. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. Great to have your company here on The Captain's Run on a Friday morning. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, you've got a good weekend lined up. There will be scope for you to have your say this morning as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 All thanks to State Transport. Our people are your solution. But first, SEN Supercars commentator and author of The Great Race, Aaron Noonan, is a man very familiar with Bathurst Weekend. And we find him on the mountain this morning for a Bathurst update, thanks to Shell V-Power Fuel, the race day feeling. G'day, Aaron. Thanks for your time. Morning, Sam. Good to chat. Great to have you. I imagine this is Christmas for you. What, what's already taken <laughs> place this morning, mate? And what, what's still ahead of us on, on this Friday up at Bathurst? Yeah, today's Fast Friday at the Bathurst 1000, Sam. Qualifying uh, later in the day uh, will determine the 10 cars. The fastest 10 will go into the top 10 shootout tomorrow afternoon to fight for 
the pole position and we'll lock positions 11 to 28 in on the grid later today. But right now at the moment, we've got supercars on the track for their, well, first practice session of the day, third of the event. There was two yesterday. And uh, the red flags just come out actually to stop this session because uh, James Courtney, the Ford driver, his co-driver, Zach Best, that car stopped on Conrod Straight. So they've just stopped this session with about 17 minutes left to go. Brody Kostecki, the championship leader's fastest in this particular practice session. So it's a little bit of a warm-up before the serious stuff this afternoon with qualifying, where the, the grid positions for the great race are very much on the line. Now, set the scene for us there, if you don't mind, Aaron, because uh, this is all taking place after, um, well, I think the word boycott was even mentioned for a time. I know uh, Ford, the Ford Supercars teams are unhappy for a period. Can you put this in layman's terms for us and how legitimate it actually was for a time? Oh, the boycott thing was being jazzed up by a few other media outlets in the last couple of days. So there was no chance that Ford and its teams would not take part mm. in the, the race meeting. But in very simple terms, Sam, supercars, there's two types of cars, the Chevrolet Camaro and the Ford Mustang. And the aim of the game is to have them equal. So it really is down to the drivers and the teams that have the cars to you know, put the job on and, um, and get it done and, and win races. So this year, the Chevrolets have won all but two races of the championship. The Ford teams wanted a change to the aerodynamics that they feel would modify their cars to be able to fight for the win. They feel they don't have fast enough cars, even if they do a very good job, to be able to win the race. They'd made some different parts for their cars. They brought them here to Bathurst, but they needed the approval to be able to, to put them on the cars. So in really simple terms, they wanted to put the parts on the cars. Uh, there needed to be a consensus among all the teams that that would be agreed to. Mm. It wasn't. Uh, and there's also a there's a parity system that, without boring your the listeners, but there's basically calculations from previous races on lap times. The trigger to uh, look into any changes hadn't been triggered in the previous couple of race events. So the Chevrolet team said, well, no trigger, no change, because rules are rules. Ford team said, hey, but hang on, we all agree that we need a hand here and we want the best for the sport, but it's just ended up with no change driving into the weekend. Yeah. Plenty of division, plenty of um, turmoil between teams and manufacturers. Ford are really unhappy. They are very unhappy with how they've been treated heading into this marquee blue ribbon race of supercars racing, but Bathurst, Sam, is a unique race. Weird stuff happens. Echidnas run on the track. <laughs> Kangaroos bounce across the road. They're not out of it, but they might need a little bit of luck come um, Sunday afternoon. Their big issue is being able to look after their tyres for long enough to be in the fight with the Chevrolets. Yep, and, and it's easy thing to say on this side of the fence, but love a bit of spice going into it. Of course, it's, uh, it all sparks the interest. So you don't have to be a petrolhead, though, do you, Aaron, to appreciate or understand the annual pilgrimage to the mountain? What's it been like? Can you just step away from the track for a moment? What, what's the appetite for it up there at the moment? Yeah, it's solid as ever. It's traditional, it's tribal. It's the 60th anniversary of the race here at Bathurst this year. So I think that's brought a lot of people. And we've kind of had three years of COVID affection or weather affection. Last year, it was raining. It was wet all week. The place was pretty much a mud pit um, outside of the track. 2021, the race got pushed back to December. COVID was still lurking. And of course, there was no one here, pretty much no one here in 2020. So this is probably the first booming proper Bathurst in four years. And I mean, you just have to drive down into, into Bathurst. It's a quick couple of minute drive from the track down into the town. And there's um, all the shop fronts are all decorated with racing stuff. There's people here, there and everywhere. Uh, it's definitely, uh, I know that some people say it's not like it was in the olden days with Peter Brock and Alan Moffat and Dick Johnson and those guys. Everything evolves, everything changes. But 
I tell you what, they sold out camping within hours when it went on sale a couple of months ago. Uh, they're hardy here at Bathurst. They love their camping. They love being here for the race. doesn't matter what the cars are on the track. They're here for this 1,000K race uh, year in, year out. Uh, indeed. We're here with SEN uh, Bathurst Motorsport Supercars commentator Aaron Nunes. So Aaron, let's cut to the chase. Who gets it done on race day? Give us your give us your forecast. And he's Shane Van Gisberg, and it's very rare that we'd call him the wild card, but the NASCAR move looms, of course. Where does he sit in your calculations? Oh, he's definitely in the game, no doubt about it. Yes, he's got three events left in his supercars time before he goes to, to NASCAR in the US next year. He's kind of been off the radar a little bit, and it's a bit strange to say that. Yeah. He's the defending Bathurst winner, defending supercars champion. And if you look at the points, He's second. He's only 155 points away uh, from Brody Kostecki, who drives for the Erebus team. But here's a weird one for you. I've looked at the whole championship. We've done 23 races, and not once this year has Shane Van Gisbergen led the points. Now, some will say he did lead it after race one, but he was excluded in Newcastle. So apart from that, he's not been in front of this championship at all. He's looked pretty disinterested in it all. I think he's got one eye on America next year, but... He's in the game here this weekend for sure. Those Red Bull cars are very quick. Uh, and it's the two Coke cars, the Erebus Camaros of Brody Kostecki and Will Brown. They're the four cars fighting for the championship. Unsurprisingly, they're the four cars that have been showing uh, plenty of pace so far this weekend. But we've got a real wild card in the mix. There's three wild card cars that don't run in the championship normally. And Dick Johnson's team have actually got a third car here this weekend. And it's a young 18-year-old from Mount Gambia, Kai Allen. You're going to hear a lot of him in the next few years. He's driving with Simona Di Silvestro. And yesterday, he ended up up the front uh, in among the regular Dick Johnson drivers, Will Davison and Anthony Pasquale. So there's always some extra storylines here at this race, but it's going to be hard to beat those four fast Camaros that have been fast all year. And just having a quick look, Aaron, it looks like the weather's going to be magnificent. So nice, nice conditions ahead. Yeah, clear, dry. Yep. That's the magic word, the D word. Um, a little bit of cloud around today. Blue skies. It's um, high teens. And, and the forecast looking pretty good for a dry run through the next few days. And there is the odd little shower predicted. Usually it lands about 3 o'clock on Sunday just to spice that late part of the race up. But uh, compared to where we were last year where they had to close the car parks because they were so boggy and they were more like a, a rally super stage than a racetrack car park, uh, we've got much better conditions this year, and I think the fans have definitely responded to that to come along. Aaron, magnificent. Thanks for taking a, a few minutes out of a busy day for you to, to join us here on the on the Captain's Run. Enjoy the weekend. I, I'm sure you will, and look forward to the to race day. Thanks, Sam. Very much so. Good stuff. There he is, SEN Supercars commentator Aaron Noonan up there at Bathurst, uh, qualifying later on today. He joined us thanks to Shell V Power, fueling the racing feeling with Shell. Now, 11.05, Gareth Hall's going to join us. Barat Sunder Racing over there in India as well. And Simon Gerrans will join us, uh, decorated Aussie cyclist ahead of the United Energy around the bay this Sunday. A break. We'll be back after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. And it is great to have your company on the captain's run. We've got an hour of power left in us here, all thanks to State Transport. Our people are your solution. It's time to talk a little bit of racing, and there is plenty happening in this side of things as well. We are in good hands too this morning. Gareth Hall is with us. G'day, Gaz. Hello to you, Sammy. Geez, it's great to be on your show. It's oh. uh, a great time of year for us racing fans. Turnbull Stakes Day tomorrow. There's a handy enough meeting in Sydney, the Hill Stakes at Rose Hill. And then next week, outside probably... 
the week at Flemington. It's the biggest week in racing because you've got Caulfield Guineas Day and then Everest Day in Sydney. Now, before we get to all that, yes. you're hosting the Form Lounge out of midday. Yep. The story that's just, just, just you are indeed, and our thoughts are with, with Miles, of course, yep. and his family. But the story that keeps giving yes. is Jack Ginevan, grand final leave, going out to Mooney Valley uh, to watch the races. Uh, 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 I guess a pre-match preparation that the CEO, Craig Kelly, didn't have a problem with, the coach might have had a problem with. Jack Ginevan doubled down. Of course, he came to Mad Monday dressed in, in the silks. Yep. He's since been named Cox Plate Ambassador as well. And now he's joining you on the foreland yes. at midday. He's coming in. With Huey Fitzpatrick, our digital champion. So Jack's coming into the show. He loves his racing, Jack, and he loves SEN track. So we thought it was a great opportunity just to sit back and have a chat about Cox Plate Day, what he likes there tomorrow at Flemington and have a chat about that Friday night. I've got no problems with it. In fact, I wouldn't get a kick if I didn't go to the races when, um, or Friday night and go to the trots well, before that was I the argument. on that Saturday. Was, uh, uh, look, I'm a bit like you, but the chief critics say, well, that might be why he didn't get many kicks on grand final day. Well, sometimes then you think that everyone has a different preparation. Yep. And for mine, I think you just got to be you. And I'm no athlete, of course, but... If he thought that getting out and being distracted from sitting at home, thinking about the game, going to the races, and I don't know if he, he was trying to – he might have needed to pick up some racing silks because he, he wore Craig Williams' outfit there. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. So I, I was told that he went and watched a mate's horse run, which Wayne Hawks was yeah, doing. Yeah, I, I think he did. Yep. He might have done both. But also there to maybe pick up a costume yeah, for Mad Monday. Have, I don't know about – like he, he, he picked up some costume for the <laughs> – from a jockey. So um, I, I think hats off to him because yep. I think sometimes we can be cri- – people want to get outraged for the sake of being outraged. If he loves his racing that's what he likes to do, then let him be who he is. Well, um, he's certainly that. And the bit that yep. I love is that he hasn't just doubled down. He's now tripling down, <laughs> quadrupling down. Oh, well, now he's the ambassador for <laughs> Cox Plate Day. So he's, he's made that's himself a... probably about 50000 on the way. That's I don't a... know how much Mooney Valley are paying for that yep. ambassador role. But – now, well done to him, and racing needs characters like that. We have Jack Jenkins, who is a UFC fighter that's a great friend of ours on yep. Giddy Up. Um, Tom, Tommy Papley, Tommy of course. Papley, um, the Richmond boys who are texting in today. I think a few of them are um, in Europe somewhere. They've got their horse, Sulcum, engaged in the Turnbull Stakes there yep. um, tomorrow. So, yeah. Uh, A lot of crossover there from our our (laughs) footy friends. Uh, As heard quickly on breakfast this morning, my holidays at Friday FOMA off will be announced today. So stick around to hear that a little bit later on in the show. So, Gaz, you you mentioned Turnbull. um, Massive day at Flemington tomorrow, headlined by that very race. And what a race it is. So the Hong Kong champion, Romantic Warrior, the short-priced favourite. There's plenty of Cups horses taking him on. How do you read this one? Well, he's the best horse, clearly, on ratings. So if he turns up like he did in Hong Kong, he'll win. Now, he has to carry 59. And this is a set weight and penalty race. So I don't want to get into too much um, detail with this to confuse our listeners. But basically, only the really good horses can win with a weight like this. So if he wins a race like a Turnbull Stakes tomorrow, he'll turn up at Mooney Valley, a very short price favourite, because um, he'll have a weight advantage on some of his rivals there from the Turnbull Stakes. I know he, he meets a different opposition with a few more competitors in, in a Cox Plate. But if he wins tomorrow, I don't know how they beat him in a, in a Cox Plate because he's a better horse second up. He'll be first up there tomorrow afternoon. And Danny Shum's a trainer from Hong Kong that's been in the system there for many a year. He's worked alongside some of the, the best trainers in the world. 
um, in Hong Kong as their foreman, and he's travelled a lot overseas with horses. And they tell me he's a perfectionist. He's been complaining about this horses he hasn't been eating up because he's got a certain food that's been um, made in America, and he couldn't get that food to Australia because the people making that food in America didn't want to send the ingredients to the Australian government. And so the Australian government wouldn't let the feed into Australia, but I think they've sorted that out and he's eating. So I don't know if Danny Shum's looking for a price or not, but (laughs) I think he'll probably win. I don't know if you can take $2.10 horses to beat him. I think Chris Waller's got a great record in this race. Solcom, Ozapenko, and even Francesca Guardi are big chances. Um, West Wind Blows is an interesting runner from Europe. He's got some great form lines with some of the best gallopers in Europe over a middle distance. But Jamie Spencer is a great jockey over in the UK, but he really hasn't fired in a few seasons since he's been coming out here to Australia. So I'll take him on every day of the week, but it's going to be a great race. I, I'm just looking forward to seeing what Romantic Warrior can do, Sam. I like it. I like it. So on top of the Turnbull, there's four Group 2 races. Yes. Maybe we'll start with the Gilgai Stakes. Star Patrol, the punters elect? Yeah, he'll be hard to beat. He does have to go up a bit in weight since his last start effort in the Bobby Lewis, but he was exceptional. He went very fast throughout that race. If he can just set a little bit better for Benny Mallum in the middle stages, he's a horse that should be winning this. And he had a little bit of a throat operation um, at the end of his last preparation because he didn't really come back the horse that we thought he could. But I think that that operation has definitely worked. So he'll be hard to beat tomorrow. And then I think he's a big chance in a race like a, a Dali sprint at the end of the carnival. So he's definitely a horse to watch. Um, same as Jeek is the danger of the mare. She's had a little bit of backing for Graham Begg. Last spring, she was second in a Coolmore behind In Secret. So if she returns to that type of form, she won't be far away. So um, I give her a big chance there, mate. I like it. And the Rose of Kingston's an intriguing one. So yes. Kiwi Mare, Princess Grace, odds on. Some strong form in the Group 1 company. Yeah, she drops back in class. She drops back to her own sex. And she drops back to the 1,400 metres, which I think will suit her. Um, but I don't. I think she's too short for mine. There's a horse by the name of Life Lessons. We've all had a few of those, especially as punters. Um, trained by Peter Moody and Kath Coleman. She finished second to a horse by the name of Amelia's Jewel, who is the superstar from WA. Now, I think there's too much between those two horses in the market. So I think you might be able to play like a Life Lessons each way. All right, very nice. And the Daniel Stokes? The Daniel's a ripper. This is a race that Giga Kick won last year, then went on to win the Everest for the three-year-olds. There is a galloper by the name of I'm Unstoppable that was very good the other day. He's had good backing. He was defeated by Archo Nacho last start, but I think Archo Nacho had the favours there the other day. In the same race, Kandinsky Abstract was beaten a fair way, but that race didn't really pan out for him as well as I think the jockey and the that the camp expected it would. He got too far back and he was on the wrong part of the track there down the straight at Flemington. Tomorrow afternoon, he gets James McDonald and he gets Blinkers. He's the full brother to Sunlight. Um, he was purchased for $3 million by Coolmore and some of the connections there in Winks. Trained by the master, ridden by the champ, with the Blinkers going on to sharpen him up, Sammy. I think he's a play each way Kandinsky abstract there tomorrow at Flemington in the Dane Hill. Very nice. Uh, we better finish up with the Group 3 Bart coming stakes, though, for the stayers. Yep. Any, any cup sources here? Well, there's a few that will be trying to win this race to get in, including the favourite down the bottom, First Immortal. Now, he if he wins this, he'll get into the Melbourne Cup. And if he wins this, I think they'll push on towards a Caulfield Cup. He'll get enough ratings, uh, rating points to get in and sneak into a Caulfield Cup. 
for the for the Melbourne Cup narrative, I think it's it will be a great result for the VRC and the Melbourne Cup if a horse like First Immortal, who's an Australian bred galloper, a son of Churchill gets into the race because he's an up-and-comer. He was bred in this country. He's not a horse that was purchased by connections from the UK to compete in this race. We know his story a little bit. He won like a good horse the other day at Caulfield. Huey Bowman gave him a peach. I think he's a horse to beat. He's got a tricky gait to overcome, but he's definitely the progressive type here. And for the Melbourne Cup, I hope he gets in. And then there's a Phillies race, race number... I think it's race number four on the program. It is the Manifold Stakes. There's a horse that I'm in love with. I don't think she was given the greatest of rides there by Jamie Carr the other day. She's third up. The camp say she's a lot fitter. I thought she could win a flight stakes, but it hasn't gone to plan so far, this preparation. I think she's clearly the best filly in the race. I think she's a horse that can go on to bigger and better things. Her name's Legacies. For Rosemont start, Anthony Mithen and the team. So I think she can win tomorrow, despite an awkward draw. She'd probably nearly be my best bet. And James Cummings joined us on Giddy Up Stable Mail, and you can subscribe to Giddy Up with Gareth Hall to listen to all of our trainers in the weekend preview. <laughs> but boy, he's giving this horse a big push, a debutante by Blue Point. Reggie Fleming, he's a foreman in Melbourne who worked alongside James' famous grandfather, Bart Cummings, for so many years. Yep. Said, James, I've never been so nervous before a trial. This horse is the real deal. He's a he's his son of Blue Point. Gamble responsibly. But I think he'll be winning tomorrow. Maybe give us one more best bet just before you go. We're a bit short I think, on time. I think some... Blue Illusion yep. into Legacies. I think that's a double that you can bet with a little bit of confidence and that'll do us. And then we can sit back and just enjoy the rest of the card there at Flemington. Love it. Magnificent. Yep. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Free and confidential support. Visit at gamblinghelponline.org.au. I just quick, if you want one in the trots tomorrow night, the start of their carnival, catch a wave in the smoking up sprint, about $2, far better than his opposition, will be winning that race. So you now, can put that into your multi, the Melton Trot Semi. Written it down. Enjoy yep, the form. I know you have. Enjoy the form lounge right, with then. none other. Where's Clayton Oliver going? I've got some Jack break. I'm only joking, sir. Well, actually, just on that front, as we set oh, uh, yeah. Gareth free, uh, a tweet from Tom Morris. He's reporting that Melbourne will release a statement soon. Clayton Oliver is officially staying. Now, we did tell you yesterday that Melbourne's reluctance to squash this frenzied trade talk was exclusively down to its exasperation with Oliver's increasingly erratic behaviour. They had no intention of trading him. This was the shot across the bow. The nuclear option, really, in many respects, but that's how bad it had got. He's moved in with Max Gorn and his family. And as I said yesterday, it does rekindle some memories of Dustin Martin, GWS, Steve Johnson touring the Collingwood facilities in 06, and even Jordan Ngoi last year coming close to joining St Kilda. Seven-year contract. He was always going to stay unless he chose a different path. Our trade update for Tyre Power. Great race sale now on. Tune in this Sunday from 10. This is your journey. Speaking of racing, I catch up with leading horse trainer Wayne Hawks. Loves a good yarn, Hawksy. And it's all thanks to Tobin Brothers celebrating lives. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening this morning. You just heard the details in the break. You can escape to Hobart with my cruises for seven nights. Just quote footy 100 for an SN exclusive offer. You can find them online, of course, at mycruises.com.au. Reasonably good uh, weekend of weather in store today, though. Possible light shower, just a top of 15 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and the inner suburbs. All right, been looking forward to this. Time to talk a little bit of cricket. Let's hear from the Aussie coach, Andrew McDonald.
We're pretty settled when you pick a squad of 15 players, you're pretty settled in what options you've got available. Yeah, the bowling at number seven, yeah, can be critical. Um, we've also got Glenn Maxwell and obviously Mitch Marsh coming back into the fold with his bowling. So we feel as though between Marsh and Maxwell, we could potentially get 10 overs out of that. So yeah, we'll, we'll leave the sort of final team until uh, a couple of days out. So we've got a couple of days to work through that. A few of those moving parts that we had leading in um, have unfolded positively for us, which is which is nice. So if you asked me that two weeks ago, I would have been a little bit worried, but now, yeah, everything seems to have, have come together nicely. So Andrew McDonald there. So the World Cup burst into life last night. Well, somewhat anyway. It's got some competing interests over there in India and the future of the format is definitely a question. But New Zealand smacking England. Now, I caught up with Bharat Sunder Racing yesterday prior to that game. And sat down to talk to him about Australia's prospects against India on Sunday and the wider tournament. The one-day International World Cup is underway in India and Australia's first order of business comes against none other than the hosts, India, on Sunday. The great Bharat Sundaration is our man on the ground in India for this 10-team, 48-match tournament and he joins us on the line. Bharat, really appreciate it. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to be back in India uh, for the second time this year, but in very different circumstances. Uh, uh, what For what could well uh, be, Sam, the the last 50-over World Cup as we know it, uh, or so it seems, if you uh, if you just walk around walk around the streets and you know just compare the buzz around this World Cup to 12 years ago, the last time the men's 50-over World Cup came to India, it's a, a massive contrast. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you to set the scene for us off the top. Where are you? And I, I was going to ask you what the mood or the vibe or the level of excitement was in, in a cricket-mad nation like India right now with this uh, yeah. this 50-over World Cup finally underway. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag, to be honest. Uh, Sam, like, yeah, I am in Chennai, uh, where India take on Australia uh, in a couple of days' time. Uh, and, you know, a couple of evenings ago, India had a closed-doors training session, so the media was shut out. Uh, but, you know, nothing can keep me away from a night net session. So I did find a vantage point outside the ground alongside a hundred other just, you know, punters, just people walking past the stadium who realized uh, the Indian team is in there. So you couldn't make out much from where they were. But that just tells you how, uh, I mean, the, the craziness for cricket in India. I, I bumped into a, a, a young man who said, I'm going to be here on the same spot for the next four days. And honestly, there's literally, you could see glimpses of the Indian cricketers walking by. But that's just what cricket and cricketers mean to India. Having said that, uh, you know, I covered the 2011 World Cup for the, for the Indian Express, who I used to work for back then. Um, and we started the lead-up and the build-up three months out. And, uh, you know, uh, everything was, all our energies was focused on that. India has changed as well as a sporting nation. Right now, the Asian Games is going on. And the whole focus now is on will India get to that uh, magic 100 medals mark. So even if you read the newspapers, uh, the cricket profiles and previews are forced to share some space with the Asian Games news and reports. So it kind of tells you that um, 
yes, cricket is the number one sport in India. But for the first time ever, it feels like the other sports also are getting a, a fair amount of attention. Uh, but I think it will change once India play Australia on Sunday. Yeah, but you touched on it. So this format or the future of this format, Burrow, like how many more ODI World Cups are we likely to see? I saw uh, the MCC president, Mark Nicholas, saying, you know, 50 over cricket should only, or in fact, should not be played outside of World Cups anyway. Yeah, and uh, and look, that's uh, been a narrative which has been uh, floated around for a while, hasn't it? And, and you just have to uh, look at the FTP for the next uh, four years between this uh 50-over World Cup and the next proposed one. And then, and mm. ironically, the next scheduled 50-over World Cup is in South Africa and Namibia and Zimbabwe. I mean, what South African team are we going to see four years from now? Already, uh, you know, the selectors or the powers that be in South Africa have said, oh, we uh, next January pick only those test players who are not involved with the SAT 20 league. So that's where their bilateral or international cricket lies or their priorities lie. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, it, it, South Africa are playing the least number of ODIs between now and 2027. And shockingly, India are, are going to play the second least ODIs from now to then. So to imagine an Indian team not playing enough uh, kind, of, kind of tells you everything you need to know about the interest in this format. Uh, and uh, look, I mean, the broadcast rights have been sold for 2027 and 2031. Uh, but whether we'll get there and whether the format survives, um, I don't know. So I, I almost uh, am of the belief that, look, we have this wonderful tournament ahead of us. Let's enjoy it, but let's not get too ahead of ourselves and just make the most of what we have now. The schedule I mentioned, so 10 teams, 48 group stage matches, two semifinals and a final, and it's being played over a, you know, a six-week period. Now, Bharat, I never doubt your levels of endurance, but this is a lot of cricket. <laughs> it is a lot of cricket and a lot of travel. Uh, I think the Australian team themselves will uh, would have flown around uh, 8,000 kilometers uh, or more uh, by the time they finish their league phase. Uh, and, and the Indian team will travel even more. I think they, they're up to 12 or 13,000 kilometers. Uh, so Australia at least have the reprieve of playing two back-to-back games in Lucknow after this uh, first one. But... Yeah, I mean, it'll be all over the shop uh, and, uh, you know, different conditions, different food, uh, a sort of different climatic conditions as well uh, at this time of the year. Um, so by the end of this tournament, all the players, the media and everyone Ilwan would have seen uh, all of India uh, and experienced most of India. So uh, and whoever does win in the end would be completely uh, or you can call them deserved winners. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll be we'll all be ready to come back home at that point. So you're in Chennai, as you say, the Aussies have India on Sunday. I mean, uh, Bharat, how are we to assess the state of this Pat Cummins-led team coming into the tournament? Uh, Look, uh, because they've had such a long lead-in, the South Africa series, the India series, and the two warm-up games, uh, though the second one turned a little farcical once David Warner started bowling two overs. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I think a lot of them have had enough time to kind of get used to playing 50-over cricket again. Uh, because don't forget, it's not just with Australia. A lot of the big nations don't put out their best 11s anymore regularly in 50-over bilateral cricket. So it's almost a case of bringing the band back together. I mean, look at New Zealand, Trent Bolt is back. Uh, Trent Bolt is back. Ben Stokes is coming out of retirement to play this World Cup. But that's the case with most teams, uh, right? Like, when, how often have we seen Cummins and Hazelwood and Stark bowl together? Not very often. What it's been last it's been three years since that happened when they finally did come together against India a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think they're shaping up well in terms of 
everyone being completely acclimatized to what to expect with this World Cup. And mo- all of them play in the IPL or have played in the IPL. So they know what it's like to travel, play and travel from one end of the country uh, to the other end of the country. Um, so I think in in that aspect, they're looking good. And just looking at uh, or having witnessed the warm-up game against Pakistan, uh, my biggest takeaway from that was, or there were a few takeaways, but the standout was Manas Labushain. I don't think they can not pick him anymore. He will bat at number four. And Mitchell Marsh bowling again, I think, is a, such a big positive sign for them. Because that then that allows them to kind of choose between Stoinis and Green. And the batting lineup just looks stronger with Manas in it. So with Manas potentially in it, as you say, can is there a world where he and Steve Smith play together in, in the top four? I mean, is that a fait complete? I think they can. Look, the criticism about Manasam in this format or white ball cricket has been, oh, he can't shift gears mm. or, oh, you know, he can't match up with the tempo at which 50-over cricket gets played these days. But he's proven in the last month or so in South Africa and in India and even in the couple of warm-ups that he starts on fourth gear. I mean, he, his strike rate is well above 100 for the first 15, 20 balls he faces, which is what you expect from the modern-day one-day batter. Uh, and the way he's playing, and then he manages to maintain that momentum as well. So that kind of tells you that, yeah, I mean, him and Steve Smith can play alongside each other. Because Steve Smith as well is such an underrated one-day batter that uh, people keep uh, forgetting how uh, how good he is at shifting gears. And, uh, you know, the two 60-ball centuries he made against India in 2020 are, are proof of that. And also his wonderful numbers in the format. So I can see both of them play together. And because you have such explosion on either side, right? I mean, David Warner seems to have refound his power hitting, which is a very big positive for Australia. And Mitchell Marsh is Mitchell Marsh. And at least till Travis Head comes back, I can totally see a case where, uh, uh, you know, Manus not only like plays in the side, but actually puts on quite a show. You mentioned Travis Head. He's in the squad. He's obviously injured. I think it was a fractured hand, wasn't it? So is that the right move to Mm. potentially have him come in later? I think the only reason they're, uh, they've even like, you know, flirted with the idea and gone ahead with it is because of the length of the tournament, as you said earlier. Mm. Uh, you know, when you play nine matches, even say if you can bring him in for the fifth or the sixth game, and by then say Australia are in a good enough position to qualify for the semifinals, you have someone like Travis Head ready. And uh, you know, in the last 12 months or so, he's been the X factor at the top of the order. right? And in these conditions as well, with the ball... Uh, you know, he's not going to bounce a lot, and he he he's just at his supreme powers in uh, uh, conditions where the ball comes on and the pitches are flat, uh, especially when it comes to 50-over cricket. Uh, I think Australia could well find themselves uh, uh, in the best position possible. It is a gamble, like you know, to go ahead with just 14 players in such a long tournament for you, you don't know how long. Uh, but it also tells you how important a player he's become for them. Mm. Uh, and uh, look, I mean, Travis said in the side, the team just looks stronger. It's a, As far as the squad goes, it's, a, you know, relatively speaking, an all-rounder heavy squad. I mean, a, a, are we short of risk spinner given the conditions, do you think, potentially? Uh, I think, uh, look, you could have gone with young Tanvir Sangha, and uh, he is here. I mean, he is one of the two reserve players alongside Matt Short. Uh, but I, I just think the the makeup of the Australian side, especially when you have world-class fast bowlers like uh, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, you would just want to at least start ta- the tournament with all mm. three of them. Which kind of tells you then playing two wrist spinners, especially when one is so inexperienced as Tanvir Sangha, as good as he is, would have been a risk. So I'm not surprised they haven't gone that route. 
And Glenn Maxwell as bowling as well as he ever had in one-day cricket. Uh, you know, in, the, in that game against India when he bowled all 10 overs and even against Pakistan. Uh, and he can bowl at different stages as well. And if with Manus beginning to bowl a little bit as well, but more than even Manus, I think if Mitchell Marsh bowls, I think they have enough variety in the bowling attack to uh, pull through without that second wrist spinner. And it's not just Australia. I mean, India have dropped their second wrist spinner as well. They've gone back to Arashman uh, and just stuck with Kuldeep Yadav. So I think it's also a trend that we're seeing uh, around the world where teams just prefer having uh, the option of having maybe more finger spinners when you do have a world-class wrist spinner already in the side. And before we let you go, Barat, Marcus Stornis is another one who's uh, under a bit of a fitness cloud and in some sort of doubt mm. for Sunday. Have you got a line of sight on him and what way do you think that might unfold? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, he's the one that uh, I'll be keeping an eye, a close eye on over the next couple of days at training. Because, yeah, he neither batted nor bowled against Pakistan. Uh, I mean, Matt Short was doing all the heavy lifting in terms of bringing the drinks out. Uh, I saw Stornis a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'd be not sure whether it is... Still, uh, based on injury or whether they thought, uh, you know what, we just want to rest him. He has played quite a bit of one-day cricket in uh, the recent in recent times. Uh, but just in terms of selection as well, because I said Manus is going to play, I think it could just come down to uh, Marcus Stoinis or Cameron Green. Uh, and you know the problem with Stoinis, or at least the the question mark about him, is with the bat. He's just been so inconsistent. But he's been really good with the ball. And with Cam Green, he's been a mixed bag with both bat and ball. So I think the selection could eventually just come down to who between the two uh, the Australian selectors trust, uh, at least at the start of the tournament. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's someone uh, I, I will be keeping a key eye on. Barat, great to chat. Enjoy the tournament. Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to enjoy. Uh, I haven't made a great start in terms of struggling with the spikes in Hyderabad. <laughs> I'm going too soft. I need to up my game as well. Yeah, by the end, I want to be uh, the the shining light for the other Australian journalists here. You've been here too long. Enjoy it, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Barat Sunder racing there for the OMF big big spring sale on now with up to sixty percent off selector mattresses. Good to catch up with him over there in India yesterday. We were speaking just prior to the England New Zealand tournament opener. If you missed it. The Kiwis won the toss, bowled, restricted England to nine for 282 from their 50, and then went Wooshka with the bat. One for 283. They got it done inside 37 overs. Rachin Ravindra, 123 to go with his one wicket with the ball, and Devon Conway smacking 152 from 121. They looked magnificent, New Zealand. Uh, the news headlines are with Monique Jews back after that. Monique, thank you. Apologies to you, Tim, out in Horsham. You texted in earlier. I'm only just seeing this now. Sammy, where do we find those race tips that we're just on? Uh, everything's podcasted, Timmy, so just jump over to sen.com.au. Look up the captain's run. Uh, scroll down for our chat with Gareth Hall. You will find it all there. Apologies, I've misplaced my notes, but you can find it there. That's where they live. Buddy Bet. Check out the jackpots available on the Buddy Bet app. Make your selection. Claim the pot. Now, BuddyBet users will know that this year we've been picking most disposals and first goal scorer in the Friday night game of the AFL season. Now that's obviously wrapped up, our focus has shifted to the NFL. So later today, Washington-Chicago kicks off at, uh, in fact, kicked off about 20 minutes ago, quarter past 11. There's a $1,000 jackpot for most receiving yards. 
Now, if I haven't looked at the results of this game so far, but if I was to pick most receiving yards in this game, I'm going DJ Moore. Must-win game for the Bears. They're zipping four, and Moore has gone for over 100 yards in two of the four games this season. So he's their main man, and I think he's going to be their main man for most receiving yards. Hey, uh, what's gambling really costing you? Free and confidential support is at gamblinghelponline.org. uh, Simon Gerrans is going to join us at a quarter to 12, our final order of business, all thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. So better take a break and we'll talk the United Energy around the bay in a day, which is this Sunday, right after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. Great to have you on board on a Friday. We're nearly there, aren't we? We're nearly into the weekend. And this man has got a big role to play this weekend. He's won a stage at every Grand Tour on the cycling calendar. Simon Gerrans is a dual national champion. He's won some of the biggest one-day races in the world, like Milan-San Remo, Liège best on Liège, and he's a legend of Australian sport. And the man from Mansfield's about to rub shoulders with thousands of weekend warriors in Sunday's United Energy around the bay. Simon, welcome back to SEN. Uh, good morning. How are you going? How is the body, mate? Are you ready for this? And what actually are you biting off on Sunday in the United Energy around the bay? Uh, yes, I'm ready for this. I'm biting off the family ride, actually. So I'm going to go down there with my, my two older kids, uh, take on a few laps of Albert Park Lake. And I'm really excited about it because, you know, I think most parents will relate to this. I want to get my kids out on bikes. I want to get them out on the road. But it's so rare that you had the opportunity to ride on a road that's traffic free. Yep. So to go around and do a couple of laps of Albert Park Lake, I think it's going to be great on Sunday morning. I'm doing the exact same thing with my tin lids. That uh, is for all the reasons you just mentioned, and also because I just don't think I can get myself around the bay 200 clicks. But many people can, and this is an iconic event, Simon, that goes right back to prior to your professional days. Yes, that's right. So I, I attempted uh, around the bay. Oh, geez, I must have been about 17. Um, so it was probably the longest ride I'd ever done at that point in time. And it was probably the catalyst of, of just getting out there and riding in a big group and riding on sort of uh, in a controlled environment, supported ride. So it was just a great experience. So it's something that I would encourage everybody to do at some point. If you've done it before, um, it's worth lining up again because there's some new features in this year's event. The lane closure going down the Princess Highway to Geelong and the, and the reduced traffic uh, speeds going down there as well. It's just going to make it so much safer. Yeah, indeed. That's the thing I was going to mention. And it's a lot of people's first foray into, you know, long riding or mass participation riding and an opportunity, as you say, to do it in relatively unique conditions that are, that are really safe, well-marshaled and, and, and well-policed, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the unique part about the United Energy around the Bay this year is who everyone gets to ride alongside. And I've got a former teammate that's lining up for around the bay in Richie Port. And I've got a current teammate as well in, in the commentator in Matt Keenan that's also going to be lining up this year. So there's some, some big names. Uh, Brendan Favola is, is going to be riding around. Fortunately for him, there's not too many hills on the on the Albert Park circuit. Um, I, I hear Grace Brown is going to line up. So she's one of the, the best in the world and one of Australia's greatest female cyclists going at the moment, Peter Mullins as well. So there's some there's some pretty uh, pretty special people rolling around this year. Yeah, indeed there are. That'll be fantastic. And for those who might be, you know, going the full around the bay for the first time, Simon, you know, down the highway, down to Geelong, getting the ferry across to Sorrento and then the slightly lumpy run into Melbourne from the Mornington Peninsula, what are your main tips? You know, those doing it for the first time, as I say, have you got any words of wisdom that, that can make their day more enjoyable? 
Yes, absolutely. Well, you're not going to get any fitter between now and Sunday's ride. So right. the only thing I can encourage everyone to do between now and then is make sure you eat plenty. You've got to be fueled up for a long day like that. Indeed. And if you are feeling the wind, then you just don't put your nose in the wind. Uh, you stay protected at all times. You just let some other sucker do the hard work. Yeah, particularly when there's a headwind, mate. <laughs> now, what is always better after a big ride is a good event village, and they're definitely going to have that, aren't they? Yeah, certainly are. So having the ride start and finish on Albert Park Lake is going to be fantastic. It's such a great spot there. Um, they're going to have loads of activities. There'll be thousands of people around. So, yeah, along with the family ride that I'm that I'm doing with the kids on, on Sunday morning, uh, it'll be great to hang out by Albert Park Lake for a while as well. Well, fantastic, mate. Great to have you on. Great to hear that you're taking part on Sunday. I hope the kids enjoy it. My kids are certainly looking forward to it and might see you around Albert Park with uh, with everyone else on Sunday. Very much looking forward to it. Cheers. Good on you, Simon Gerrans there. The United Energy Around the Bay. It's on this Sunday. If you want to sign up, you still can. You've got until uh, close of business Saturday night. Bicyclenetwork.com.au is where you want to go, and you can uh, find all the relevant options. There. There's, a, there's a ride for everyone is the other thing as well. So you've got the family ride that Simon and I are doing all the way up to the 300-kilometer monster if you feel like taking on a real challenge. But if you sign up now, you'll get a 20% discount. So the code for that is ATB. 20 United Energy around the bay this Sunday. An iconic event been happening since the early 90s, and most people have got a, a, um, a tale to tell from their time doing the around the bay. And I'm looking forward to taking my kids along this Sunday as well. Um, lots of texts coming through. This one from Rod in Maroochydore might warm the heart of Saints supporters. Just saw Brad Hill doing some fast running training in Noosa. There you go. Brad Hill started early. Um, Sammy, surely the Tigers are thinking seriously about a swap of Soldo for Dersma. Looks a very obvious trade given Port's desire to get Soldo on their books. Dersma slots onto the picket wing and he's a first rounder. Get it done, Tigers, says Mark. Um, Sam, I think you just said Oliver is staying and not going anywhere. So if he doesn't change his attitude in the next 12 months... Will we be in the same position this time next year all over again? Well, Nathan, you're in Cranbourne. I guess theoretically that could be the case, but Melbourne are hoping that certainly will not be the case. It's reached a crossroads moment now, and I'm sure Melbourne would like to think that uh, this will have a happy ending. Clayton will knuckle back down, be the player we all know. He is out on the field and balance that up with the lifestyle off it. So it was a... A serious course of events that they chose, but it looks as though it is all going to work out. The 40 Wings temper text is 0433981116. Hey, check out the jackpots available on the Buddy Bet app as well. Make your selection, claim the pot. What's gambling really costing you? Free and confidential support is at gamblinghelponline.org.au. We need to take a break. It'll be our final one. We'll come back. We'll tidy up and hand over to Dwayne Russell for some more midday manners. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Bit of a trade update dropping about 15 minutes ago, all thanks to Ty Power, the great race sale now on. Mitch Cleary reporting on Twitter that Collingwood Vice Captain Taylor Adams is exploring interest from the Sydney Swans. Wouldn't that be a big move? And would it be the right move for a club like Sydney or a player like Taylor Adams? I'd be keen to know because this had been bubbling away behind the scenes for a while, maybe even as far back as... Last year, and they're room, and they are only rumours. I need to state who made the first phone call. That is something I would like to get to the bottom of. That might come out in time. It might not. It might not go anywhere. But just repeating that news: Collingwood Vice Captain Taylor Adams exploring interest 
from the Sydney Swans reporting Mitch Cleary at the moment. Um, I'm sure that's something you can pick up and continue on with Dwayne Russell out of midday, that trade update for Tyre Power, the great race sale now on. Hey, before I hand over to Dwayne this afternoon, whenever the pipe joins us, I want to give a big shout out to a man who's been a very important member of the SCN crew for the last two and a half years, Willem van Dender, and he's sadly, well, sadly for us anyway, on his last day today, and he's helped keep the captain's run afloat, but he's off on an overseas adventure I reckon he's channeling his heritage. He's moving to the Netherlands. So best of luck to him. I just hope, I just hope they make a good oat latte over there so that he can survive. Hey, um, keep your texts coming through. The ones that I don't get to, I'm sure um, the pipe will read out for you. Craig drops a text. Bradley Hill trains every day of the year. That is why he is the best gut runner in the AFL, Craig. You might be absolutely spot on. Cam in Churnside Park, after seeing Fev do the longest kick on grand final day, don't think he'll be riding too many laps around Albert Park. Um, and there's other texts coming through as well. But as I say, Pipe will be reading those out. And we await, I think still, a statement from the Melbourne Football Club that Tom Morris tells us will drop later on today. But the Pipe is ready. Midday Madness is about to ensue. Dwayne, welcome along. Sammy, ready to fire up. The phones are open, so uh, anyone wants to jump on. Midday Madness about to take off, and you call, you get on. That's the Midday Madness promise. Anything they'd like to discuss. Uh, obviously, the trade period's officially underway now with free agent day one, so mm. we'll talk a little bit about what might drop this afternoon. Uh, we'll keep everyone in touch with what does drop this afternoon. Going across to Bathurst as well. You a Bathurst man, are you, Sammy? At Aaron Noonan on earlier, I'll watch the race. I'm a, I'm a once-a-year motorsport fan when it comes to the Supercast. Mm. Wayne, I always give it a look. It's one of those iconic events. Yep. Father-in-law used to work for Holden's for a long, long period of time as a designer there, so I kind of mm-hmm. um, I married into a, a family of petrol heads, and <laughs> I was working in radio in K-Rock all those years ago and asked my wife to pick, us, pick me up after being at a function. And uh, she turned up, and I'd had uh, well, I'd had one or two, but Dick Johnson was with me. We were dropping him back at his hotel, and uh, my wife said, uh, "Am I driving?" I said, "Yeah, you can drive." And she got in, and in the passenger side was Dick Johnson. Yep. And uh, she, she, she's a great driver. She's a better driver than me. But uh, she bunny hopped her way all the way to the hotel that day in the manual <laughs> car in those days. Probably younger people don't know what a bunny hop is, do they? Do they know what a bunny yeah, hop is? Yeah, I reckon they know, Dwayne. Yeah, <laughs> was quite uh, funny, Dick Johnson wasn't say. impressed then. No, I thought he thought it was as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's, happening? What's happening after Midday Madness? Uh, after Midday Madness well, for me? Yeah, who's on the show? Oh, yes, Damien Fleming's going to join yeah. us. So we'll talk some uh, – Mitch Creek might join us as well. We'll oh, talk I some basketball. Him. Talk some 50-over cricket. So plenty still to come. Oh, Campbell Brown with a couple of tips. But it's all about midday madness. Oh, Send me the next two hours, the main two hours. Don't bury the lead. Grab a line, one 736 736